Welcome to the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast. A podcast for soccer coaches from grassroots to the pro game. Soccer coaches who love the game, love coaching and want to get better. Join our community on Twitter at Coaching Family. So guys, welcome back to another Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast, the podcast for soccer coaches all around the world of all levels who want to improve. Uh, well, uh, joined by my special guest as ever, my good friend, Glenn Hicks. Glenn, how are you doing, pal? I'm good, thanks, mate. Feeling so good. So today, today's we're talking about winning v development. So, you know, a topical one. Uh, what's your first thoughts on that? Um, I think there's some misunderstood words in there when it comes to youth development. I chuck the word success in there and competition as well, because people obsess about winning, don't they? So all levels and we're all winners and we all watch the television and just love seeing people win and especially our teams and stuff. But I would say the important words are winning, success, competition, development, learning, and then you have to prioritise. But actually, first, before you do that, especially when you're working with young people, is work out exactly what it looks like. So what is winning to a nine-year-old? Is it winning... Uh, all the titles in London or your county and being lauded as the best player in the country or is winning having some of them same nine-year-olds go on a, a long journey and go and have a really, really long career in football. And what I mean by a long career in football, I don't just mean being a Premier League footballer because there's an obsession with that as well. I mean, are they still playing at 25, 26, 27? Yeah, hopefully earning a bit of money from the game, which is a privilege, but even just maximising the joy of football because there's a lot of people that quit along the way because they become disillusioned with football. So that would be the starting point is, is what do them words mean to us as coaches, first and foremost? Yeah, I mean, well, this is like topical, I say, because we had this debate, I had a debate on Twitter recently and obviously we talked about you and Ross on the defending one briefly about, you know, and it always comes back to me about, we talk about winning the development, particularly in academy football and any sort of football really, but it's that, you know, it's, it's how much do you want to win? And we had this conversation about, you know, playing long ball football. So, you know, category one team, you know, playing other category one team, two massive clubs, one playing very direct and staying direct is basically the goal is just basically shelling it every time and one team trying to play out every time. And obviously, and, and I was quite surprised actually on Twitter, a lot of people come back and say, oh yeah, it should be 50-50, there's a place of this, place of that. And I still can't get my head around that in terms of what's, what what development are you getting out of the players when you play along? But as people said, oh yeah, but that's good for our players because yes, fair enough, it might be good for our players. But the, the coach who's playing that, that is surely driven just to win that game. Mm. Do you know what I mean? What development are you getting out? Sure, maybe the strikers getting some stuff, you know, winning headers, second balls, blah blah blah. But that really, like you know, talk about winning and development. That's an ego thing for me. Do you know what I mean? I'm still trying to get my head around in terms of from a development perspective. Why would you, you know, with 11, 12 year olds, 9, 10, 11, 12 year olds play long ball football consistently throughout a game if it wasn't just to, to win? Do you know what I mean? And then who's that for? Do you know what I mean? Who's that for? And then, and then you know, to, to give it to context. It's different. Like, I'm not talking about, you know, a massive team playing a smaller team. Fair enough. You know, for, you can you talk about, you know, maybe trying to play a different way to just try and compete. But if you're a massive club, surely you're about development. Why would you ever play long ball football consistently for a whole game, or even a couple of games? Do you know what I mean? Well, surely that is the, that is about winning over development. That is about the coach ego, you know, about it. Surely you, you should be good enough to try and play the right way. And I say the right way, and fair enough, people might batter me for that. Yeah, I've got no qualms about it. I'm, a, I'm in youth development. I'm an mm -hmm. idealist. And, you know, you. that's, yeah. what, that's what we do. You know, I, I remember, you know, my first starting off in my academy career, you know, when I started at Tottenham and taking games and the under nines and playing big teams, talking about big teams there, where well, they did just smash it 
get it in the mixer and crash bang wallet. And that is why English football has been so poor for so many generations, so many decades, because we didn't develop players to play the right way, take the ball out, receive under pressure. It was just stick it in the mixer, shell it. It's like hot potato, that sort of thing. So we've come a long way. So I was just like, I can't get my head around that. The excuse is, why would you, would you, you know, try and qualify the other way of doing it? Yeah, I totally agree with you, mate. And in, in its rawest form, it is quite easy to figure out as well. Like you don't, if you have strong values and convictions, and I probably didn't get it as right at, at the first five years or so when I was taking junior grassroots teams, especially myself, I, I definitely did 90% of the time and I had the right intentions, but we're all affected by pressure and, and, and getting to a cup final on a grassroots team affects people. And mm, sometimes yeah. your, your values go astray, but you, you can consistently say, if you stand for something, you stand for it. And that means, so if we're asking our players to be pressure proof, yeah, can you take the ball in a phone box and, you know, Cruyff out and they said, well, if that's going to involve a lot of mistakes. We, we have to be the same pressure proof or pressure resistant coaches. And sometimes it can be a lonely place when you've got a bunch of parents screaming on the side or coming question you after a game of football. Uh, well, we keep losing. We, yeah, okay. So that's one part of the game. But let me tell you this, your son, Joey, did you see how many times he tried to kick the ball with his left foot today? And mum or dad or whatever might say, oh, yeah, but he fell over. We can consider, oh, yeah, I know he did, but that's part of the process he has to go through. If you, if we're trying to learn, if we're trying to develop, it's going to look uncomfortable at times. There's going to be sticky periods. But again, it depends what our objectives are. If One thing I would say about direct game, like, again, stripping it back to its rawest form is, it's really not difficult to work out, especially when you're on big pitches and everything's oversized, including the players. The bigger the pitch and the bigger the goals, well, actually, the more if you stick that big physical player at the back end of the pitch, and this is driven by fear, in my opinion, not learning. If you stick that big, strong boy that can kick the ball the furthest at the back and can actually stop people getting past him at the back and then the big, strong one up the front, you know, you're going to score goals. You're going to stop goals at one end and you're going to score goals at the other end because the big physically dominant player that can kick the ball and the one at the front that can run is going to overpower. And I would say challenge this to the coaches, how many goals in that context are scored through real deliberate, intentional control football? I call it like picking your play with purpose, intent and control. So if it is a long pass, what we don't want to do is discourage that. So if a kid looks up and does a Toby out of style pass and they score and the centre forward mm. takes a fantastic first touch and runs for on goal and it's an ex exceptional finish, you don't want to discourage that. But we know what poor football looks like that's painful to watch yeah. as youth developers. Do you know what I mean? That one that literally is just a hope, hopeless boot up the pitch. The kid runs onto it, scores a goal. There's loads of mistakes in there as well. For every time you kick a ball over seven other children's head, ask yourself this. For the, for the kid that kicked it and the kid that ran onto it, what are all the other children missing out on? What stuff are they missing out on that is gold dust and so essential for them to become better footballers? And I think if you dig deep with that question, what are they missing out on? Because you'll come up with a lot of stuff, including enjoyment, by the way, because mm. I know the parents might go, yeah, they enjoyed winning. No, no, they're going along with a ride. If you ask them... Did you touch the ball enough today? Did you enjoy playing and expressing yourself today? They'll go, no, you're joking. I touched the ball twice today. So do you know what I mean? I think a lot of it comes back to values, doesn't it? So values and convictions. And why do you do really what you do? And what? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things there. Because obviously, like you say, you know, if you are, you know, grassroots football and maybe, you know, is you do want to win, it is a winning costal mentality. That's fair enough. I suppose, you know, you legitimize that, don't you? I can't get my head around that one when you're in academy football and you're doing that and it's, you know, you're playing friendlies every week. Result literally doesn't mean anything and you're still doing it. 
And now I'm just thinking, well, how, and how do you qualify that? Do you know what I mean? If you know, if you're in inverted commas, big club or any sort of club. And listen, it's different. Say you're, you're a smaller club and you say, okay, we're trying to produce players for our first team. Maybe, you know, you're in the lower leagues and your, your first team plays, plays that football. So fair enough. If you're a big club, you know, how do you, how do you qualify that? And then, you know, so if you're, if I'm a parent watching that game thinking, well, what's going, you know, my, my, my son plays midfield and he's, he's going to get a neck ache because yeah. he's looking at the ball in the air. And that's true. And it is important to, to qualify, you know, some play, you know, Liverpool quite direct. They play quick, they play early. But it's long passes. It's you know, it's not just get the ball and just stick it in the channels or in the mixer. You know, there's there's a difference about that. So yeah, I mean, that's just um, yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's just just like say, what's your values as a club, as a coach, and what you what you're trying to get out of 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 it. What about? I mean, I suppose like the broader thing. I mean, I think you know, winning can sometimes be like a dirty word. You don't want to you know create an environment where you know you don't you don't have competition. You don't have, you know winning is not a thing. You want. The boys to be competitive and the boys are all the, all the girls naturally are gonna they're always gonna win aren't they they're always gonna win and you know when you have these have conversations with coaches particularly from abroad in the continent they say yeah look we always want to win but it's about winning the right way isn't it or winning you know not but not compromising your your development ideal which is you know playing the modern let's call it the modern game of football because you know england used to be in the dark ages and you know very few years ago you know very mm. very direct so trying to play that modern game it might be more of a challenge it takes a bit longer but it's a bit harder but then you know it's the fruits of your labor down the road isn't it you know when you reach the end of that rainbow and you've got that pot of gold and you've got a player who's can you know come to win possession and like can play out from the back and that's what i mean today. exactly that's 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 really the, looking uh, forward to the thing. playing the world cup how, how exciting is it thinking Wow, Phil Foden again has just won the Young Player of the Year, and and you know he happens to have an, a British or an English passport. You know he's English, and I think I know we can't always produce tons of Phil Fodens, but we definitely can produce more. One hundred percent, I've got no doubt about it. When when you look culturally, how many of the hundred million pound footballers or the Ballon d'Or winners have come from certain countries, uh, like South South American countries, where you know there is a more there is more of a demand on on playing football a certain way. It was fascinating to listen to Steve McLaren in an interview recently saw as well about, you know, you talk about someone who is an exceptional British or English coach, exceptional, had got an incredible CV, you know, part of the Manchester United treble winning team mm. um, in terms of performance and stuff. But he said that when he went out to, to Holland, even at the top level, because I still believe there's a misconception about top level. So when we see the best operators at the top level, I would love. I would really love for coaches to look more, not just at the lifting of the trophies, but the constant talk about winning. Uh, yeah, winning, but learning, development. You know, I hear Tuchel talking all the time, Pep Guardiola himself about learning. Oh, my first season at Manchester City, I learned the most. You know, this one's developing this. You know, there's still at the top level of constant learning. Like Wenger was the ultimate teacher, and he was at the top level. We see him at the top level. Do you know what I mean? In terms of constantly developing people's games so I actually think there's a misconception at the top end because people go oh yeah well we play long football because that's the level of football that he's going into well it doesn't have to be and it not always, it mm. isn't always actually and because of the improvement of the the level of the pitches at league one league two now they're fantastic football pitches now I took a group of boys to to play at Northampton town on their pitch just the other day and I think some of them excuses are going there thanks to technology and science the standard of pitches are better so and, and I think they are just excuses um, but I agree with you about the whole, um, Steve McLaren, by the way, said when he went to Holland, they apparently lost their first game, mm -hmm. sort, but they was getting applauded and the newspapers were saying um, uh, it's a brilliant performance, but 
Steve McLaren said that he couldn't understand it as much. We didn't win, you know, it's all about winning in England. But he learned then, they were satisfied. No, 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 look at the stats. You've got 65% possession. Your intent was good. You've done well. And, you know, he went on to do a miraculous thing that season. I think Eric Ten Hag was his assistant. They went on to win the league. And again, it's stuff mm. that hasn't been done. But it wasn't at the compromise of the development or the core values about the style and the way they wanted to play football. But winning is not a dirty word as well, though but we need to know how to use that word and how much importance we put on that word and how we talk about that word with children. Do you know what I mean? It's just a, a consequence of what you're doing anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's, it's right, isn't it? I mean, it's about balance. Isn't it? I remember as well, I was on, on an MIA license, you know, and having conversation in one of the seminars and, you know, a couple of coaches said, yeah, well, yeah, I want to win. I want, doesn't matter what age, but nines, I want to win, you know, I want to set up to win. I goes, well, then that's fair enough. That's not a neutral you know, decision, you know, that has implications, you know, so for example, maybe your wide player is not taking as many risks on the ball, you know, maybe he's playing is more percentages, maybe he's going back and recycling it more, maybe you don't want to lose possession as much and, you know, maybe your players aren't breaking, trying to break lines in your, in your own, in your own defensive third, if that's sort of thing, because you want to win and that's the problem, isn't it? It's saying, you know, we want to win. Yeah. We want to, if I said, yeah, I want to win and I'm going to set my team out to win, that's fair enough. But then that comes with, you know, compromises, you know, which are going to affect the players and the development of the players. So, yeah, we want to win, but, you know, I'd rather have little Billy or, you know, little Lena or whatever, just dribbling out and taking a few risks, you know, as a fullback, trying to beat defenders 1v1 or, you know, as a centre-back, trying to drive out or, you know, I don't mind my my players doing Maradonas on the edge of their own box if it's trying to get out of trouble. Do you know what I mean? I remember the very early days at Tottenham, one player centre that player, you know, did a Maradona edge of the box and, you know, and then lost the ball. So, oh, good effort. Good effort. Because we've always done, someone said, oh, he's done a Maradona on the belt. So, well, how courageous is that? How brave is that? Being able yeah. to, to do that. I don't mind. That didn't work this time, but maybe next time it does. And if you don't let people, players do that at nine, then you've got no chance of them, you know, being brave enough to do it at 12, 16, and 18 or in the first team. Do you know what I mean? It's so rewarding as well, isn't it, mate? So, I would say this as well. What is success to you? And my opinion on success is, is, the, the more challenging the journey a young player has had to go for, or any of us really, you know, so if three people lift the European Champions League one day, or like Leicester is incredible success because it's what where they've come from to where they got, you know, that for me determines success more. Do you know what I mean? If you're if you're born with a silver spoon and you've always got money and you end up with money, if you're born, you know, the whole rags to riches thing. So for me, going through that process is even more rewarding. So when you see them kids struggle, so you know what it's like. Like I've been guilty on the sidelines before now, celebrating things where the parents are looking at me like, oh, why is he celebrating that? Do you know what I mean? But like I'm crazy, like I'm some kind of nutty guy on the side of the pitch, but I'm celebrating a, a little hurdle that that kid's got over. and Or I'll, I'll over-celebrate some goals and people will go, God, he really wants to win. No, no, no. You don't know the conversation I'm about to have with this kid. You know that kid that scores with his left foot for the first time? Mm. It could be the most horrible goal. I remember one moment so where this lad was going on a journey um, in, our, in our academy, I suppose, well, from just total refusal to use his left foot to hit it, use his left foot and kick the ball once. He made contact. So I was like, brilliant, great progress, great attitude. And I like to get a little bit intentionally, get a little bit louder with that stuff sometimes so the parents can clearly understand what it is I'm celebrating. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And then maybe three or four games down the line, he scored the most horrible goal. Like it was, it was a really ugly looking goal, you know, miss hit, shanked it, went in the bottom corner. But I celebrated it like it was the best goal of the season. But I knew there was a little, there was a little euphoric moment there. There was a moment where this kid's going to now hopefully trust the process, trust his left foot. And then maybe two, three months down the line, this young lad come into training one day and he hit this left foot shot that I heard it 
you know when the ball striking sounds good sort and mm. it's beautiful like there's yeah. such a sensitivity it went boom and and it just whistled past my head and the coach's head that I was standing with and I've looked over my shoulder to moan like what were you doing kicking the ball near the coaches and I've seen who it was right and I've seen who it was and I've looked at his body shape the way he's lined up and I'm like did you just hit that with your left foot and I was like brilliant he thought and again he froze a bit because he thought I was going to have a go because he's nearly kicked the ball at me I went that's superb did you just see I, I I heard and I I felt how well you kicked it he went boom and he walked off with this cocky swagger like yeah that's my left foot and yeah. and for me like I'm, I'm you know getting a little bit tingle, but for me that is success because he's now got a left foot on a tool that he's gonna take with him his whole journey but like I say that same kid that was under nine saw and is now surviving at a top Premier League club at 14 <laughs> with one of them tools of, of an additional left foot. It comes back to your values. What is it you really believe in? And on the word talent, saw, I'm, I'm really interested in this word latent, right? It just means exactly the same as potential or possibility. You know, I come across the word and I've got the thesaurus out because I'm not, uh, you know, I have to learn my words as I go. But this word latent is fascinating. That It's one of the only words that that is in there that means exactly the same thing as possibility and potential, but it's got the same letters in it as talent. So it's just talent, but the L and the T are the other way around, the word latent, right? And if you're wondering how you're supposed to coach talent, and by talent, I mean they have an aptitude, they clearly have a possibility to get good at football because let's be honest, with all the will in the world, you can eat all the salads in the world, we can put them on the best training programme in the world, masterful coaches or whatever. If they don't have that potential, they're not going to be that something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? A bit like me trying to maybe learn the piano with me, fat sausage fingers or whatever. But that word latent's interesting, so it's made up of the same letters, but just in a slight wrong way. And all latent means is what is yet undiscovered what hasn't been seen yet what is lying dormant that that needs to be watered a little bit Do you know what i mean like like if you go to a, a drier landscape well actually there are there are the roots of flowers still laying there and you, you know if it started to rain for the next three weeks you'd start to see these flowers dormant you know, uh, blossom Do you know what i mean and mm. i think it's important that word is you know they're pretty much the same thing we're working with talent but how much can we bring out that we haven't seen before? Are we looking at possibility and potential? And what part are we playing in that to bring that stuff out? And that ultimately is winning. And that is success, in, in my opinion. When you, There's no more satisfying thing than when you unearth talent that lots of other people hadn't seen previously. And it's like, oh, wow, where did that come from? And it's so rewarding as a coach. I mean, that's yeah, amazing. I mean, that's right. It's youth, that's youth football, isn't it? I mean, what's the success is that you're develop, you're getting, the players are getting better. Do you know what I mean? Long-term, those players are going to be better. If you work in academy football, you're developing, you know, players who make, make a career living in the game or, you know, are still getting those life experiences. If you're grassroots football, the players are improving, they're enjoying themselves, that sort of thing. And that's, you know, and that's, you know, it's the old adage. I mean, Tim Sherwood used to say it to Rambo. Now, you know, three the only three points that matters are the ones from the first team on the weekend. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's like it's the reality, isn't it? And that's why you know you talk about what is success is that you, yeah, you know, you might win, you beat this game on Sunday, but it means nothing. It's completely irrelevant. They are literally friendlies, you know, in academy football. You win that game where you might be, you know, bragging, right? So who's the best academy in 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 uh, in in wherever or in the country or in your region? But I mean, one academy saying, well, we're about development. The other one saying, we want to win. I mean, surely, you know, then you're going to see through that. It's weird, right? But what, you know, you talk about winning there, because obviously we don't want winning to be a dirty word. And obviously 
for me, like every session has got, you know, competition so important. You know, I want my players winning. I want them fighting. I want, I want to breed that comp- competitive cauldron, I call it. You know, it's a great way, especially particularly when you work in academy football. I want that, want those live 1v1, those 2v2, 3v3s and trying to create an environment where they're, they're at it, you know. And I've seen that as well. We you know, luckily when I was working with the 18s at Arsenal last season for, for several months is that having that, knowing that, you know, when you add the competitiveness, particularly for the older players, you know, you do, you do, see the intensity crank mm. up do you know what i mean so what, what's your what's your thoughts on that and how do you try and you know implement that into your environment to get those latent uh outcomes <laughs> no so <laughs> the word winning is really important and, and again i i say it again again if you if you think back to when we were children's when we played wembley with our mates i i think amongst our mates where there was no coaches it was the most competitive games in my opinion i remember kicking lumps out of my mates and my mates going on with them lumps on your shins and bruises and you think there ain't no coach there telling us to be competitive there wasn't no coach telling us don't try and win it's in our nature we want to yeah. win we want to be competitive but it's about harnessing that do you know what i mean at what time it's important it's, it's the whole skill of it, isn't it when does it go over the edge so when does it start to become bad behavior <laughs> when the children start behaving in a way that it becomes a win at all costs when do we start behaving that way as well like keeping the kid on the bench till the 78th minute in an 80th minute game because you're two one up which is just so painful to see. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, and, and, and again, it's just about harnessing it. Again, what are we doing with this stuff? Do we understand what winning looks like? And I, I think that is ultimately the skill of coaches, and it's always the word competition, in my opinion, or being being competitive, because some of the most successful players that have gone through the whole academy <laughs> environment, for example, under the rigors and the pressures, you know, they've got something inside them, haven't they? So that fire in their belly, that that competitive edge, that stubbornness almost where it doesn't matter what you say about me. Thanks for telling me that I'm not good enough or rejecting me from this pro club academy. But five academies later and five rejections later, I'm still going to become a pro footballer because I've got that something about me, right? But so you want to encourage all that special stuff. But their their behavioural things, their characteristics, their things that 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 we're encouraging along the journey of learning. Do you know what I mean? The whole scoreline in terms of winning, it's just so irrelevant, isn't it? Like you said, it's. It's it's a first team thing, unless the team's getting pounced, bounced, uh, battered seven nil, trounced seven nil, so and there was an attitude problem. I think you need to then correct the attitude problem because if you got trounced seven nil because children are not working hard or learning or, yeah. or trying their best, you have to challenge that as well, like an apathy. Do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, I think yeah, that's an important point, isn't it? Because it's the balance, isn't it? Because I remember, you know, Chris was always Grambo. Chris Ramsey always, you know, winning doesn't matter. You know, I don't mind getting losing 7-0 because, you know, we're playing out and we're losing, you know, because they're working on something. But, I mean, it's one thing to do that. It's one thing, another thing to, like say, capitulate and give up, isn't it? So it's that balance mm-hmm. of saying, right, okay, winning doesn't matter, but, you, you know, try it, not trying, that matters. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you're not running, you're not fighting for your teammates, you're not working hard and you're giving up, that really matters. I suppose that's the difficulty, isn't it? Where do you get that balance? Because... Do you want to have like that winning mentality in inverted commas? Then you know, win it or you know, got win. Everything's winning. You know, you celebrate. You bring in, you know, everything, everyone's giving you a pat on the back as a coach. But then you know, as I say, you, are you the other side of the scale where you know, well, winning doesn't matter. We lose twenty nil doesn't matter. You know, lose every day. Boom boom. Do you know what I mean? So it's about how I suppose where do you, where do you have that balance in there, isn't it? To try and remind remind the players that listen listen. You know, you've got to be brave. You've got to work hard. You know, fair enough. You're losing. It doesn't matter if you're losing, but as long as you're giving everything, right, and not just giving up. Yeah, and and your goals that you originally set at the beginning of the year or the beginning of the two years, however long you're with a group of players, are really important to keep you on track. 
because winning and losing can be sometimes be a distraction. And again, so if football is all about winning and it's a huge part of it and it's probably the most celebrated because I even see on the Twitter sphere, I, I see loads of things about, wow, under nines team, brilliant winning trophies. I see all these things this time of year and under nines team celebrating the trophy and under 14s, 15s, 16s. And it's really, to be honest, it's the only thing that seems celebrated. But what about the other nine teams in that EGA under 14s league? You know, there's 10 teams in that league and one team's going to win. What about the other nine teams? How much talent is in there? And I'd, I'd say this at the top end as well, because so, I think there's a lesson to learn even from the top end. Looking at Liverpool and Brighton, right, as two that are in my head at the moment about, because if it was all about winning, Newcastle United fans won't go anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's like 50 years of not winning. If it was all about winning, Roma would have quit trying to win. Like it's the journey and the process of trying to win. They've just won their first European trophy. Liverpool and Brighton would have sacked their managers, both of them, I'll include Klopp, at a certain period in time if it was all about winning and losing. And what I mean is there was this horrible run that Klopp went on. It was painful to watch. They, you know, like, was it last season when they came fourth and they just got fourth? They went about 12 games. They lost, Van Dyke come out of the team. They lost about seven. They lost 7-2 to Villa. There was just this most horrific explosion. But fortunately, the people above him and around him stayed calm and no, wow, we're just having the most horrific two or three month period here. We're going to get it right. And then Liverpool went on this incredible run to even get fourth. They just about scraped fourth last season. And yet the other side of that, the other side of staying calm, they're about to become European champions on Saturday, potentially, right? And Brighton, for me, saw the perfect model when you want to look at development. And I'm not saying youth development, I'm just saying development. If you want to look at a club that was is fully developed, there was a little period around about November or December when there was all, a lot of people calling for, for Graham Potter's head. He lost six on a bounce. They was calling for his head, get out of here. And, he, and even the fans were critical. They had drawn nil-nil to someone. Uh, against someone, I think it might have been Villa or someone. And and in the interview afterwards, he come out and really bravely and courageously said, "No, the, the fans are booing me." He said, "The fans are booing me." He said, "They don't know what they're talking about." I'm sorry, but they don't know what they're talking about. We've just played absolutely terrific. We've done this, 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 this. But the only thing that was missing was one goal. Because if you're saying if we would have scored one goal and one one nil, everyone goes home satisfied. Mm. Well, I'm going home satisfied with ninety percent of our performance. Now you fast forward from Brighton back then to now, and luckily I'm really pleased they give them a five year contract because they've just had in one hundred and fifty years of that football club being in existence or whatever it is. They've just finished as high or with as many points as they've ever done in their history, and they're still producing players like Cucurella that are probably going to be bought for a certain amount or developed for a certain amount and be sold on for a massive amount like Dan Byrne was and Ben White. So in terms of a development model and trusting processes and developing, there are examples at the top end of the game as well. Do you know what I mean? And something like 28 out of the last 30 times trophies have been won. They've been by the top four or top six teams. Do you know mm. what I mean? Winning is really just for maybe five or six teams in terms of who actually do it. So and if that's the case, if it's just about winning, then why do all the others participate? What why about do... what what about Norwich, for example? That's the one, isn't it? Like, you know, kind of going a bit off topic here. But, you know, obviously, you know, lauded by many, you know, what a great program, no plan B, you know, they just they play football the right way, boom, boom. And then they've come under a lot of criticism recently, haven't they? Because they've gone up, they've gone down, they've gone up, they've gone down, they're like the yo-yoing a bit. And then people asking questions, well, hang on, one, you know, what, you know. Is that willing, you know, winning is winning that important? You know, is is staying in the league that important? Or are the fans happy they're going up and then down because they've got a stable business model, maybe not spending money, that sort of thing. But then 
you look at someone who's like Brentford who've come into the league, they stayed in the league, that sort of thing. Because that's sort of the same thing as you're talking about, you know, winning or, and, you know, development. You're trying to develop the club or sustainable. It's sustainability, I suppose, isn't it? But then, you know, as a fan, you know, when are you, you know, content with that? Or, you know, fans always want more, don't they? I suppose that's reality. You know, for fans, the grass is always greener, isn't it? Yeah, and at that top end, you've got a business development model, haven't you, and a football development model. And sometimes the business development model overrides it at the end of the day. If if people ain't earning money, it's costing the club money, jobs are going to go. And I, I really do get it. But I think if you get the balance and you the football development is strong, look, the value of a really, really top coach like a Graham Potter or an Eddie Howe, and I'm talking about English coaches because I'm being a bit biased towards it. Because like you say, we've been in the doldrums for a long time. And yeah. Bobby, Bobby Robson is my hero. Terry Venables is my hero. Glenn Hoddle circa 1998 is my hero. My idol in terms of looking at role models of English coaches and and people that have been daring, and even Roy Hodgson, you know, going across, speaking five languages. Go, but, you know, we've got some we can be proud of as well. You know, Eddie Howe, um, in terms of look at the impact he's had at Newcastle. Um, but again, if you get the football development model right, I think more often than not, the, the business development takes care of itself. And sometimes, not always, because I haven't, you know, operated with people at that level, at board level and that much, but sometimes maybe the business model blurs the football model and overrides it and maybe that's what we're seeing at Manchester United maybe people that are making executive football decisions are not footballing people enough to, to really get it right do you know what I mean and but but taking it back to the grassroots sort again I know we're, we're talking about the top end there no, I think but, it's best let's let's stick with grassroots look at that end of yeah. the game then we're still good coaching going there's still development yeah. models in place yeah. no one is the finished article do you know what I mean players are always constantly progressing you're even hearing Harry Kane yeah he's the or something goal, still talking about the impact that Conte's had on his yeah, development but, yeah and also that that myth that you know oh, you're a small team you can't try and play football and stay up and you know be a savage team you've got to stick it in the mixer and you know do that one you actually like say you know, if you're a good coach, you're Eddie Howes. I mean, you know, Bournemouth finally did drop out of the league. But I mean, you know, if you're like, if you've got a good coach, you know, like Rogers when he was with, you know, Swansea and, you know, those sorts of things, you can, you know, you don't have to shell it. Do you know what I mean? In the highest level, you can play the right way. You can develop the players and try and prove them to become better. And, you know, so, you know, they're taking that lesson into grassroots, isn't it? It's that, you know, there's always, there, you know, there's always room to improve players and try and play football the modern way, if you like. Yeah, definitely. And, and like I say, the outcomes will be more, in my opinion. So like we said right at the beginning, about the, the more times you kick a ball from one player, from point A to point Z down there, what's the other letters of the alphabet? What's the other bits that we've missed out on? And like I say, mm. you've got the movement thing. You've got, actually, it, it does take a lot of effort. You know, you, you've got to run more because you've got to make a 10-yard run or an arm block. So there's lots of movement things going on. Then you've got the awareness stuff, the receiving, the you know, we can go on and on. The amount of stuff that you lose, the trade-off is too significant. And like I said about success as well, the more you persevere through this stuff, maybe sometimes stubbornly, and, and you come out the other side, the success will be greater. Do you know what I mean? The reward of really sticking to your values and coming out the other end with, with players that are really progressing. And I'm not, I want to steer away from just talking about getting signed for an academy because that is not every kid's potential in a grassroots team. Keep seeing them having a team or a group of players that can still, that can lose every week, right? Score wise. And, and, and the children have to put up with the parents going, Oh, you lost another game. You're five and oh, or whatever. Right. Having them children still come to train on a Tuesday and Thursday night with a smile on their face, with utter enthusiasm, because you've, focus them on their learning okay we go again on Tuesday we're going to 
learn this, 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 this. We're doing our 1v1s. We're doing goal scoring. To have them same children come through your doors of your training ground with the same enthusiasm is very well done to the coaches. You're doing a magnificent job. Please don't resort to the whole, oh, I'm building a new team. You've got to go. I've got to come in because there's nothing more painful to see this time of year than seeing under eights teams advertising for players. When I'm looking at them going, what's wrong with them little snotty-nosed kids you got there? You've got about you have 15 players last year. Do you know what I mean? So I don't, it can't become this constant turnover like a, like a factory because I think it's so detrimental to, to, towards development. What about talking about going back to actual session design and thinking about, you know, having that winning, that, that compet, you know, com- being competitive, that competitive cauldron, which is like you know, a term I always go back to. I love that, you know, that just the, fr- the fire intensity of that real competition that players sends players, you know, into that next level. How do you, how do you, how do you try and boost that in your sessions? I get a lot of people saying, Oh, you know, I do a grassroots session, you know, whether it's girls or boys and I just, I real struggle to get that competitiveness in the, or the intensity in the session. Cause people, that's what I said to me the other day. I only, I watched a session on the coaches pass on my personal football coach, check it out if you want to, but I think I was watching there because you seem to have like real good energy to flow your session. I just said, it's a lot about delivery, but it's about session design as well. And it's just about, you know, keeping the, getting into the players, but it's also creating those sessions. Like, you know, for example, you know, just doing like, you know, you're doing a small sided game to so make it competitive. Do you know what I mean? Your 2v2s or your 1v1s, who gets the most points? And remember, even like my last job at the Academy, proper Academy job, Chelsea, every every single session ended on like a you know, small sided game, 4v4, 5v5, you know, times two, or maybe one team on the outside. And then my winner stays on, or, you know, ideally two games at once, winner moves up, loser moves down. Like just the intensity of who's going to be on the top pitch by the end of the session. Like, you know, goodness me, like they, they love that. Do you know what I mean? The fire is really, really going. I remember when I was younger as well, I used to use, uh, Anson Dorrance, you know, Anson Dorrance, basically one mm. of the um, America's most winningness cultures, uh, you know, uh, University of North Carolina, I think. But he used to, really interesting, he worked uh, in the women's college game and he used to do points, a point system. And every every single thing in the session was point, you know, given points. So you know, you do you, so everyone's game related competitive. You do points, you accumulate it, and you put like a league table up. And I used to do that actually when I was working grassroots football a lot. So because you know to try to raise that. So you know, you do points at the end, at the end of the week. Oh, who's winning? And then in a month, you know, who's got the most points? And this season, player of the year is you know whoever's got the most points. Just little things like that to add you know, your more competition, a little bit of winning and losing in your session to add that bit of intensity. Do you know what I mean? And what's any sort of things you do, you can think you do to your session to try and add that particularly like if you're grass, you know, it's different in academy football. Cause you know, if a player's not at it, you're thinking, well, you're going to, you're going to get him released. Do you know what I mean? Everyone mm. generally is at it. It helps, you know, but I suppose a grassroots, isn't it? Where that more participation, how do you try and, you know, create that bit more intensity than in your sessions to get that winning and losing? Yeah. Again, group, grouping within your groups is really important. And it's all. And, and so if, like we said before about the 1v1 draw, if the best player is just steamrolling the weakest player in your group and he's won 10 nil, you, you know, both players are not getting anything out of that. Mm. Again, if you're, and sometimes not, not cheating, but sometimes overloading a game 6v4, you might put the very, you might put the four best players together, the very four best in terms of like just the best on the ball. We all know what the best looks like, the best on the ball, the best player, put them all together. Because you want them maybe to dribble more and you want them to be overloaded and give the other team six because they probably need a little bit of help a bit more and to, to figure stuff out. And, and, and there'll be outcomes in there somewhere. But again, this whole point, the whole point system that you're giving, the, uh, the point system I'm writing it down is great. Whoever gets 25 points at the end of the night is the winner, blah, blah, blah. But then it's about, okay, what are we giving the points for? What stuff are we valuing? Like, 
Um, is it the player that's working the hardest you're given a point? Is it the player that attempted the most passes? Might have lost the ball, but who's played or who's played the best pass tonight? Who, if you was asking to work on our penetrating passing tonight, who's the player that cut through the most players or or cut through the players and penetrated players with the most audacity, like a no-look pass? I don't know. Whatever it is you're looking for in terms of a learning outcome, give points for that stuff. Do you know what I mean? It might just be, so you're working on communication with your group. Who's giving out the most positive praise tonight? Every time one of their teammates does something good, who's saying, great pass, Joey, whatever. And all of mm. a sudden, you, 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 there's a fight between players to talk more and catch people being good and give positive praise. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Whatever it is, that whole point scoring system, as long as you're relating it back to your learning, I'm all for it, mate. And me, me personally, I don't, I don't do that as much, but I do like to deliberately set challenges within the game. You know when you're on the pitch and you walk around or within a training session, like just... just just to wind them up a little bit as well. Like, set this final challenge. Um, next time you get the ball, take the whole team on. And then his mates are moaning at him being greedy. Pass, pass, pass. But I have to go over to him. Like, you know, remember what I said? If you take the whole team on, I'm going to give you five points. So I'm going to give you 10 bonus points. And we'll talk about the bonus points after. It's like skillfully doing that with each individual player pool. So like just, just pulling stuff out of them. And, but, but this getting pulled out of them because you're setting them challenges as you go. You're kind of constantly stoking it up and moving the challenge as the session moves. I, I like to do I like to do that a lot. And sometimes it's hidden from the whole group. It's more individualized. But yeah, that's just that's just one thing I like to do. And, and I like to cheat a bit as a referee as well, if you like to if you want if you want to stoke up emotion, I like to deliberately oh, yeah. as a referee then, sometimes. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, nothing wrong about cheating. I mean, yeah, yeah. nothing wrong about cheating. But yeah, just, take, just take, your life, take your life, take your life in your hands sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> what about as a coach though, like that winning? As a coach, I mean, I, I always I always talk of this a lot. When I remember I was many, you know, God knows when that was on my Yarbrough Youth Award. When I was at Chelsea, we talked having a conversation, a great conversation about, you know, I said about the difference between, you know, when you're taking the academy games and then when you're going to these competitions and suddenly, you know, all winning is important suddenly. And you, and not only have you just got to then say to the players, well, hang on, you know, we've been working all year where maybe, you know, we're, just, we're trying to win the right way, but, but suddenly, no, you know, like, you know, for example, game management. I remember one, you know, one of the first, you know, having one tournament, you play, you know, and elect, and they're just, and the game management was just amazing. And I, you know, because they just, they play so many competitions a year. They play, you know, 20, 30, 40 competitions a year. They play a lot of competitions. Whereas we, at that time, we'd maybe do five or six co competitions, you know, and it's an under nines group. And you think, you know, our players weren't used to that, you know, so they'd be like, you know, that one where, you know, I'll run, I'll, I'll pretend, I'm, pretend I'm injured, run the clock down, or, you know, kick yeah. the ball away as it goes out. And, not saying you want to encourage that, but it just it's that game management. Also, as a coach, suddenly it's more you know suddenly you're like, oh, hang on, I'm I'm in a stadium here, I'm in front of several hundred people, it's a bit more challenging. I'm you know I've got to make substitutes which are going to impact the game. You know, it's, you feel that stress. Do you know what I mean? It's, and it's like anything, it's a learned experience, isn't it? The more you do it, the you know the more equipped you become at that and that in, in that environment. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because now I've seen that's what the Premier League and the FA have done really well recently because there's loads of tournaments, loads of like whether it's futsal or you know loads of power play, whatever it is. There's loads of things now where actually winning is actually important. You go in there to win. You're not going there to just compete. Obviously, you want to do it the right way. We talked about, but just the more experiences the players get, because you know in Europe, you know most those most of those leagues do play competitive games on the weekend. They'll have a they manage to do it. <laughs> They yeah. manage to have a competitive league where they, you know, we, someone wins at the end of the season, they get championship without everyone sticking in the mixer. But what's what's your thoughts on that in terms of like, you know, as, as a coach as well, you know, getting used to that winning being important and, you know, being in that situation. 
and I, I'm, I'm sure success works either way. So the countries that do have leagues, I'm sure they're producing lots of professional footballers and people for their club. And I'm sure we're, you know, in the Premier League in our country where they've got the futsal staff, they've got the power league stuff. There's loads of different variety of competition. But in terms of the development format as well, because playing futsal is absolutely terrific compared to playing nine aside, or 11 aside. There's, and there's different outcomes, as we all know. And playing on the power league with a balls where there's no rest time. So in terms of intensity, the games are ferocious because the ball's not going out of play and you can't walk for mm. 10 seconds. You're bouncing off the balls and they're scoring. So there's much more transition playing that as well. And, but whatever it is, so I, I think it's about timing. So I would say this, if, if, if the utopian of football is, I, I always think back to, like everybody else, it's trendy, isn't it? But it's actually just... It just is the best it is. Think back to Pep Guardiola in his first season as a manager in 2008, 2009, when he wins six trophies and he wins the first treble in La Liga history. If it was all about winning, he retires there and then. Do you know what I mean? It's like I've clocked football. It's like if Klopp would have done the quadruple this season, it's like just retire, mm. you've clocked it. Like you, you, you've done it. Huh? Let's let them build your trophies of you now and whatever else. And if the utopian of youth development was a year later, no, 2010 it was, wasn't it? When the utopian for La Masia or any youth development um, program is to produce the three best footballers in the world. And in 2010, it's the first time in the history of football it happened. We all know when Messi, Xavi and Iniesta got number one, two and three in the Ballon d'Or award, which is for the best individuals, for me... That is utopia for professional football academies, not grassroots. Don't try and don't try and think because you ain't producing a Ballon d'Or. Do you know what I mean? So if that's the utopia, mm. you have to ask how did they get there? And there's stories sort of of even down to like under 16s and under 18s of, of Barcelona teams with the little messes in there still getting beat or 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 them deliberately playing against teams that are physically overmature and getting beat by like the equivalent of a grassroots team, an under 16s regional team that comes in and beats their under 15s. And it's almost like it's part of the process. That was like, yeah, yeah, good, good. They gave us a massive physical outcome. They beat us 4 1 today. But wow, did you see the guy in the Esther never lose the ball the whole game? Did you see Xavi complete 99 passes and 95 of them were ridiculously challenging? Or did you see Messi take on five players and score the one goal? Do you know what I mean? I, I think if, if that's the utopia, we have to work backwards from that. So again, if you want winning teams, fine. Over-encourage winning and play a certain way and do the tactical stuff. But if you want players for your first team, or if you want players to still be playing football at 21 and still be playing football at 25 because they love the game first and foremost, then again, it's just about weighing up it sounds like I'm sitting on the fence again but there is no I, I don't have a magic book there is no set answers but it's about trading it off and balancing it again keep and we have something we have to I would say this so we do have to keep checking ourselves with this because we all go astray sometimes we all get caught up in the emotion of wanting to prove ourselves in the academy you know yeah academies do become a little bit like a school a curriculum and it's a GCSE factory based outcome and oh well, they're not there yet well they're not there yet but where could they be at 16? Have we released them too early at 14? Oh, he's not going to get his scholar. So it's the, the call, the amount of people that get released pre-scholar sort at 16 is madness, isn't it? And then by 21, a lot of them are not even playing football, but some of them have gone on to prove them people completely wrong and playing at a much higher level than the boys that attain the scholar. Do you know what I mean? So again, it's just about, in terms of development, it's hard um, winning is black and white, isn't it? You either win the game or you don't. Development is different, is is grey areas, but sometimes you just have to again stick to your values and your principles. So, and 
and just stick at it and be patient at times with talent or latent talent. Be patient. <laughs> Absolutely. On that one, Glenn, thanks very much, mate. It's been top. Appreciate it. See you next week, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. See you next week. The Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast. A podcast for soccer coaches from grassroots to the pro game. Soccer coaches who love the game, love coaching and want to get better. Join our community on Twitter at Coaching Family.